Hello, Little GK listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. This week, Chris gives us six cool rubrics from the Triduum Liturgies. Those are the liturgies of Holy Week, so Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Vigil. There's some really great stuff here, and the church even clarifies some of these rubrics in the third edition of the Roman Missal. So without further ado, episode 39 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Are we recording? Are we recording? Yeah, that's enough hello, out of you, Cleveland. Kevin. <laughs> well, speaking of hello, Cleveland, I want to say hello, Steubenville. You know why, Jesse? Why? Because we have an alum of the Liturgical Institute who got his doctorate here, named Professor James Pauley. He teaches at the Franciscan There's University. There's a lot of page turning going on over here. Yeah, Chris is speed reading the missile right in front of us. <laughs> okay. That's good. It's good background noise. All right, James Pauley. Yeah, he's a professor at Franciscan University in Steubenville, and he has three daughters whose names I won't say in public. Mary, but, Sherry, and Gary. Uh, no, no, Larry. No. no. But you know what he told me? What? He said they have to drive places sometimes, and they listen to liturgy guys in the car with the really? daughters who are really? like 11 and 12 and 13. And they stop, and they press pause, and then they talk about Jesus based on this podcast. Wow. So shout out to James Polly and his three daughters. Yeah, and they're like, the daughters are sort of full of grace. It's almost like St. Monica wishing her son would convert and... Uh, like the rhyme of the ancient mariner. These are all these things that. <laughs> what, what is the rhyme of the ancient mariner? These are secret codes that only the people of Steubenville will understand. Oh, okay. But anyway, it's a household. Isn't thing? that awesome? It's okay. we've become like the old family radio. You know, when kids used to, oh. back when Kevin was a kid and they used to sit around the radio and watch so, the radio, so waiting for it to turn into <laughs> a TV. Listen to uh, <laughs> waiting for it to turn. <laughs> back when radio was in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, Paulies, for listening. Keep listening, and send us pie crust. All right, so uh, <laughs> back to the real topic at hand. Uh, yeah, first of all, definitely pie crust. Dennis and I are going to start another podcast called Just the Crust. It's going to be great. It's all—it's for all super tasters. So if you're a super taster, we're going to do Just the Crust. All crust, right, crust me, everyone. Yeah, you'll make me happy. <laughs> well, in pie we crust. All right, so. Uh, we're going to talk about the Triduum today, right, Chris? Yes, we are. Is this pronounced the Triduum? Triduum, by some. Or Tridium? Tridium. No, it's a weird word. T-R-I-D-U-U-M. What does it mean? A trid- W? The Triduum. It is a W, but it's not a W. Okay, got it. So Triduum is a hard word to say, but Tridium is an element from the periodic table. So it's oh, okay. like, don't call Virgil Michael, Virgil Michelle. Don't call it the Triduum, Tridium. Got it. Okay. What does it mean? Try... It's the three days. Three days. Three dooms. <laughs> no, it's not dooms. <laughs> but it is confusing. And there's uh, reasons then that um, there's certain things about the tridum, tridium, triduum, triduum that ought to be uh, recalled. Uh, you know, just the number of pages that the triduum liturgies take up in the Missal must be close to 100. So yeah. there's a lot of we rubrics. We heard you flipping the, those yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, speed reading the rubrics. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot to know and... 
you know, even with the change, it's been five years ago, so hopefully everybody's familiar with a lot of these, but there was a lot of uh, insertions and deletions and changes to the rubrics that I thought maybe we would uh, recall as we approach the yeah, Trudeau. Yeah, let's uh, jaunt through Chris, the missile. And Chris, by the way, is one of the world's experts on the Tridum, one because he has... <laughs> because re- nobody else is. Well, yeah. Um, Chris has been a presenter at the Liturgical Institute's Treasures of the Triduum Conference, so he is... Uh, well-versed mm. in all these things. Well, well let's dive uh, I, in. I tried to make this analogy this year about treasures. and So rubrics uh, comes from the Latin word ruber, and it signifies the... Ruby. The, yeah, the red text that's in the missal, but it's the same root as, as you just said, as rubies. Ruby. And so the... the you know rubri- what else is compared to rubies in the Christian tradition? What's that? The wounds of Christ's hands after the resurrection, that they're like oh, that glorified right? wounds that are like gems that attract uh, people to him. Well, looking at the rubrics that way would uh, yeah. uh, certainly change your oh. perspective. I mean, but they're not mindless, uh, uh, archaic uh, laws and instructions. I mean, what they're trying to do is to open up a treasure... Uh, which is the, the true to them if, if they're properly followed and implemented. So anyway, here's a couple of them. I'm going to start to... Let's see Can I say way? one more thing about rubrics? Sure. Yeah, in the 1930s when they were talking about the liturgical movement, they said the rubrics were like a beautiful frame around a painting, that the, the frame makes you know kind of how important the painting is, and it gives it edges so it doesn't sort of wander off. Uh, but the artwork is the liturgy itself. The rubrics make that frame, make that... Um, painting more knowable yeah uh, similarly i think it's aiden cavanaugh who makes this uh, comparison to rubrics being like the rules of grammar have i said this before no you're no. smirking at me just well aiden never mind aiden cavanaugh sorry, one of our favorite people to mention nick aiden nichols oh yeah did i tell you about the aiden nichols <laughs> no, no no okay what's aiden the Cavan- grammar he says they're like the rules of grammar right you can't write good prose if you don't know the rules of grammar mm-hmm. right but if you don't know it's it's the rules of grammar themselves don't guarantee beautiful prose, but it's impossible without them. And so similarly, the liturgy, it, it's difficult to manifest a beautiful, luminous, radiant liturgy if, you, if you're not familiar with the rubrics. Right. You can't well, drive on the street without traffic laws, but laws are not the same as driving. That's okay. great. We've handled a lot right. of metaphors. Do you want any here. other analogies? We should probably here? start. Okay, right. Yeah, right. Okay. So here is, uh, here is cool rubric number one from the Mass of the Lord's wow. Supper. Cool rubric. Cool, num- cool rubric. rubric number right. one. Okay, so the first, this has to do with the uh, presentation of the gifts. And this is a rubric that is new to the third edition of the Roman Missal. That's it, the most recent one, right? Yeah, it's, okay, it's got the current it. one. So it's been around for about, uh, what, I guess five years now. It's coming on the fifth uh, Triduum. Uh, and it's a rubric that precedes the presentation of the gifts. And it says... At the beginning of the liturgy of the Eucharist, there may be a procession of the faithful with gifts for the poor that may be presented along with the bread and wine. All right, so nowhere else in the Missal on any other day does that rubric show up, but it does on the Mass of the Lord's Supper. So why, why is that? Hey, that's my question. Why okay. is that? Given what you know about the Mass of the Lord's Supper, why would that rubric be in there? Why is this a gem, a treasure, that is helping to reveal the okay, hidden mystery I think, is it related of the to the mandatum. It is okay. Oh, that's not what I was going to say, but let's forget <laughs> well, that. <laughs> this mandate to go and to make disciples of all right. nations. Okay, so the mandate is uh, uh, to to love one another as I have loved you, as is shown in the foot washing. Yeah, Jesse, love me. He's, he's, yeah, anyway. we should so, go on a mandate. So this is. I, <laughs> is that like a bromance? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> From the sublime to the mundane. Ask your wife first. That's all I ask. So, uh, 
right, and, and Holy Thursday was often called Mo- Monday Thursday. Oh which yeah, was, I've heard which that. Is, which is always confused me when I was uh, before I became a liturgist. It, well, is it Monday? Is it Thursday? You know, which one it's is Monday it? Thursday? So that's right. And so the Monday comes from this word mandate. It's the mandate Thursday to love one another and to uh, do acts of charity. Right, and so uh, this is signified by the foot washing. This is what we hear about in the gospel reading. Also, here's another unique uh, rubric for this same point. Uh, rarely does the church tell you to sing this song at this time. So there, nowhere else in the Missal, as far as I know, does the church prescribe an offertory song, but it does on Holy Thursday. What, what song is that? That's my question. I'll ask the question. Okay. okay what right, song is sorry. that, Jesse? Oh, the song of songs. I don't know. <laughs> what is it, Dennis? <laughs> Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man. No. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. No. no. Okay. okay. Enough of the questions. All right. It's Ubi Caritas. You asked. <laughs> I'm not going to make that mistake All right. again. Ubi Caritas. It's Ubi Caritas, where charity and love prevail. God oh, is always there. That makes there. sense. That's... Right. So we have, we have uh, the gospel. We have the foot washing. We have the Ubi Caritas. And we have this rubric about gifts being offered along with the bread and wine. All right, so this rubric, again, is trying to uh, manifest what the mystery of Monday Thursday is about. Right? So if you're going to do this in a parish, which why shouldn't you? It's good, <laughs> right? If you want to write good and beautiful prose, do what the rubric says. But if you were going to do this in, in the parish, by the time you get to Holy Thursday, it's too late. I mean, pastors or uh, CCD teachers, whatever they are, the people would need to know in the weeks leading up to Holy Thursday that, hey, on this night... Bring other gifts for the poor because all of these are going to come forward with the gifts of bread and wine. That makes a lot of sense. This is just chalk it up to the church being really smart, I think. It is. She's been at this for a long time. Yeah, that's true. And you know what's interesting when you read the Acts of the Apostles and a lot of discussion about the very early church, they weren't really inviting people first to liturgical prayer. They were taking care of the poor. In fact, that's the word liturgy also included the meaning of going out, taking care of the poor. And people said, who are these apostles that they so love each other and they love everybody else and they give us stuff? Well, they, there must be some love flowing out of them. And then they said, who are you? And then they came and worshiped. So this notion of beginning with charity and leading people to God that way, I think, is way better than some of our modern people who like to point fingers and say you're a heretic or you're a sinner you know get with mm-hmm. it or go to hell. but that's fun too but okay so in the, well some of your answers were right. heretical just now <laughs> yeah so. i believe it man <laughs> all right let's let's go to uh cool rubric number two from cool mass of the lord and it's two. related to uh, it's related to this one as well so uh this is uh, during the distribution of holy communion uh, the rubric says at an appropriate time during communion the priest entrusts the Eucharist from the table of the altar to deacons or acolytes or other extraordinary ministers so that afterwards it may be brought to the sick who are to receive Holy Communion at home. This too is brand new to the third edition of the Roman Missal. Um, I don't recall if this, what its earlier source may have been. But So what does this say to you? Ooh, I think, can I? Give her a try. Okay. So I think in the early Mass... In, the, in ancient Rome, there was a sending forth of the Eucharist, and there were different dismissals, and the very end, you sent the Eucharist out. Does this have something to do with that, where they would send uh, it, it out? It does, it okay. does, but if that's, that should be the case of every Mass, right? Right. So, but it's only in this Mass that we have this rubric. Okay. Why? Why is it unique 
appropriate that it's in the Mass of the Lord's Supper. Because it is the Mass of the Lord's Supper, and that's the institution of the Eucharist. Bingo. Bingo. It's also Good kind of a supernatural mandatum, too, isn't it? Like, well, don't it just is, take stuff, but right. take heavenly stuff. Too. Right. Right. So uh, what, what is the command that Jesus gives to his uh, apostles at the Last Supper? Go secularize all people. No. No. Go make people. Do this. Yeah. Do this. This is another mandate. This is like the second mandate. And similarly, it's uh, uh, what uh, the, there's an expression, I don't remember what the Latin is in the tradition, that this is the birthday of the chalice. It's oh, the day on that which, is a really cool yeah, phrase. Yeah, the day on which the Eucharist was born. All right, so uh, if we have, and the, this is the, there are three principal mysteries on Holy Thursday. It's the command of charity, it's the institution of the priesthood, and it's the institution of the Eucharist. All right, and so this little rubric has at least two of those in mind, the, the command to charity and the Eucharist. Right, so if this is the day on which the Eucharist is born in the church, and we have this command to, uh, to love, uh, uh, love one another as Christ has loved us, what this rubric is saying is to sacramentalize those realities by sending the Eucharist to those who are not being able to be present. You know what's coming to mind, Chris? What? Sacramentum caritatis. Is it? Say more. It's the sacrament of charity, right? Uh, yeah. So being nice to people with their earthly needs is fine, but what's even better? Bring the supernatural food to them. So it's kind of a double mandatum, I guess. It is. I think it's a great way to look at it. A Thanks. double mandatum. Yeah. But again, like that um, rubric about bringing gifts uh, to the poor, this one too, you can't just decide that evening that the parish is going to do this, right? Because these masses are usually in the evening. By the time the mass gets over, it could be anywhere from six or seven or eight or nine o'clock. That's not the usual time that someone who's homebound would be expecting a visit from the communion minister. So uh, preparations would need to be made. Well, that's the question. Does that does this foresee that they actually go that night and bring yeah, Eucharist people? You bet. So after after you mass bet. is over. Yeah. Uh, when uh, what does it say afterwards or when yeah. it is finished? But I mean, think about what this would say to 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 the parish and to the people in the assembly. You know, why is it that we have this? Uh, army or these number of people who are about to take the Eucharist to the homebound. I mean, this helps to not only express the mystery which Holy Thursday is, but to foster it into the participants that the church has a care with the Eucharist for, uh, for other members of the parish. Yeah, they're members of the mystical body too. So should there be like a recruiting of people to be, uh, that need the Eucharist to be delivered to them well, before? You, with well, the signing bonus? You know, no, you know what I mean. Like there should there be an active you know, moment where the parish is reaching out to people and saying, this is something that's part of the liturgy. Would you be interested in it? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I think uh, oftentimes uh, the pastor or the, those uh, who help him with pastoral care knew, know who the homebound are. Mm-hmm. And they usually have visits uh, on first Fridays or Fridays or on Sundays after Mass. But this Holy, Holy Thursday evening would be different. So special arrangements would have to be made. You probably have to uh, make arrangement for more communion ministers to take the Eucharist. That, but, that sounds like a really good opportunity for an, an encounter like we talk about uh, with Christ. so The church knows what she's doing. She does. Excellent. Okay, you want to go to Good Friday? Cool any, rubric uh, number else? three. Cool rubric number cool three. Rubric number three. Um, there's a rubric uh, new to the Missal that says, the Good Friday liturgy may not be celebrated in the absence of a priest. Okay, so... What it, does it mean? So Why is it deacon, there and what might it mean? Right. Deacon cannot do it. Right. And a, a lay person cannot do it. Right. And a bishop can, no. Uh, <laughs> but so this That's goes charity, with, yeah. this is one of those three things. This is the institution of the priesthood. Oh, no, that was Holy Thursday. 
It is. Okay, so then I don't know the answer. Yeah. And you could do it without a priest before? No. Well, that was the confusion that mm. this is trying to put an end to, right? Because it was, it's not a Mass. The Good Friday liturgy is not a Mass, right? And so I think some of the thinking was in some places, well, if it's not a Mass, that, and it's a very popular day, then yeah. Father will do it at this parish and the deacon can go do it at that parish. Oh. Uh, but no, that's not, uh, that's not a legitimate option, okay? But think, about, think about Good Friday what it does, and why it's appropriate that the priest is the one who celebrates it. Christ is offering his sacrifice on the cross. And that is what type of a work? Priestly. Bingo. Offering and Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, Good Friday is the priestly action par excellence of the entire year and of Christ's life. The, uh, the cross is the altar of sacrifice. Jesus is the priest who offers, and Jesus is the, the victim, the sacrificial victim, which is offered. All of Good Friday is about priesthood. Right? And so there's some other... Um, so that, that's yeah. just clarifying something that you know, people were doing before. It, well, it is. I mean, it, it, but it's doing more than that. See, to be able to read the rubrics properly is to see the treasure that they contain. All right, so you could look at this and just say, "Well, I guess Deacon Bill can't do this anymore." Mm-hmm. But what Sorry, we should Deacon say, Bill. what we should say is, "Well, what is the theology inherent in these rubrics yeah, that the church wants us?" It's to It's not see? saying deacons can't do it; it's saying priests should do it, and here's why. Well, see, this is the problem. Uh, it doesn't often say, here's why. Oh, so that's what, that's well, what we have to supply. We're saying, here's why. Okay, so it's a priestly action, but there's other rubrics on Good Friday that signify the same thing. Another is, is that, and this is actually on, on Holy Thursday too, uh, at the homily, it specifies in the Triduum that the priest gives the homily, right? So the deacon can preach on other Sundays throughout the year, but when it comes to the Triduum, no. The priest gives the homily. Also, uh, at the showing of the cross, there's two forms of this. There's one where, in fact, a deacon or another minister can carry the cross in from the entrance of the church. But the more ancient way is that the priest does it from the sanctuary. And there's some rubrical details that make this point. One is that if it takes place in the sanctuary, the priest is the one who uncovers it. Where do you suppose he stands if this is all about priesthood? At the, the altar. at the altar, yeah. Uh, at the altar, right? He doesn't do it at the chair or at the ambo. He goes in front of the altar because this is the place of sacrifice. The altar is Christ. And when the, that's right. And when the, when the cross is being uncovered and it is sung, Behold the wood of the cross on which hung the Savior of the world, who is supposed to sing that? The priest. The priest. What if he can't sing it? Can the deacon sing it then? No. No. Can the choir sing it then? No. No. It says in each case in the rubric that the priest sings, Behold of the wood of the cross. He may be assisted, if necessary, by a deacon or a choir, but he's the one to sing it. And why? Because this day is all about priesthood. And so it has the priest uh, singing these, showing the cross, and the rest. It's the heat. The heat is on? The heat is on. Yeah, so ignore that uh, heat thing in the back. But that's that's really brilliant. Now, were those things that you just said on on, on Holy or uh, Good Friday were those new as well, or were those yes. there? Okay. 
Uh, yeah, right. Okay. So this, uh, yes, yeah, that's so they they're basically making a statement there about the priesthood on Good Friday. Yes. Okay. Got yeah. It. So again, that's why I say look at these rubrics not as uh, dry instructions that you know some uh, disconnected uh, cardinal in a congregation made up three centuries ago. No, they're they're treasures of theology that if we follow them appropriately, something beautiful. I think is you're manifest. a treasure of theology, Chris, because Aww. really there are three ways to. You guys should go on a mandate. <laughs> <laughs> He'll bring his wife. There are three ways to look at rubrics. One is, oh, they're just getting our way. Let's do what we want. The other one is, we are bound to the law, and we're going to be really rigid, and we have to do it exactly because that's the law. Neither of which are full or healthy. The best way, I think, is the way Chris does it and the way the Liturgical Institute does it, is that the rubrics teach us how to express more fully the nature of what happens in the liturgy, and that is fitting. Uh, so let's go to the next one, Chris. Cool rubric number four. Cool rubric number four. Uh, it is this. This has to do about the uh, adoration of the cross. And there had been um, a rubric in the 1985 sacramentary that said, in the dioceses of the United States of America, a second or third cross might be used for the adoration. But um, it doesn't say that anymore. Right? No. So the rubric now uh, at number 19 says only one cross should be offered for adoration. But Chris, 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 what if there's a thousand people there? Isn't this going to take forever? It would take forever. So the alternatives that get that, <laughs> that's, that's good, uh, the alternatives it says is that uh, um, some ministers and some of the faithful may adore the cross and then the priest holds up the cross for all to venerate in silence for a period of time. And then the cross is uh, placed uh, before the altar, or there's, a, there's an instruction in this letter called Pascalis Solemnitatis that says the cross can actually be placed in the place where adoration took place the night before on Holy Thursday, and people can adore the cross for as long as they want to after the Good Friday liturgy. That makes sense. That's practical. Well, it is practical, but what, uh, it's also typological too, Jesse. Uh, well, if I knew what that word meant, I would be able to respond. It means in the Old Testament, there are persons or events that anticipate the coming of Christ and his saving work. All right, so think about the priest holding up the cross for all to venerate. What Old Testament uh, story or person? Moses holding up his staff. That's exactly right. So after, after the people are whining and complaining and they get bit by these serpents, Moses makes a bronze serpent and he lifts it up and those who look upon it are healed, healed from the serpent's bite. Right? So those of us who are able to look so upon it. who's them. the serpent in the big scheme of things? It's the devil. The devil who right. seduced Adam and Eve. Yeah, yeah. And now we're healed from original sin in the fall. Yeah. So, th But this is one that even today is overlooked often. You see places that still use two or three crosses, but it's no longer an option. Uh, Dennis, this appears a lot in architectural terms. There's this, there's this emphasis on the singular object. One tabernacle versus three. One altar versus three. Things like that. What does it mean? There's a singularity of Christ. Or even, <laughs> one Christ. Yeah, or even the ch uh, even the chair. We've talked about the chair before. These kind of old-fashioned sedalia that have you know a bench or three chairs welded together. The priest yeah. chair is supposed to be freestanding and singular. Right. This clarification of symbols and the primacy of the primary symbols being brought out is a big concern of the 20th century. Yeah. Oh. Good. All right. So one cross for adoration. And we also did one of our liturgy guys' questions about uh, should it have a corpus or not, and we talked about that. So you can go back to, I think it's our first 
podcast episode, we, we answer that. But mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> well, we tried to answer it well, so yeah. far as there so, is. So uh, cool rubric number five. Yeah. And so now let's move to the uh, Easter Vigil. Uh, let's see. There, oh, there's just so many to choose from here. Let's talk about the Paschal Candle. Yes. Uh, the Paschal Candle uh, should be prepared for which effective symbolism must be made of wax, never be artificial, renewed each year, and only be one in number, and lastly, sufficiently large size so that it may evoke the truth that Christ is the light of the world. All right, so notice the descriptors about the Paschal Candle. It's wax, it's new, it's one, and it's large. Why? Uh, because that's like Christ. The, the Paschal <laughs> Candle is Christ. That's he right. He's large. Now, so he's, he's one. He's big time. Now, the only one I don't, the one that eludes me is the wax. Why would that be mandated? Yeah, uh, well, because nature itself is, I think all the natural elements that are expressing their newness, you know, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, we have the new springtime, we have uh, uh, the new daylight, we have earth coming back to light. So, I mean, the, the, the modifier new is applicable to everything at the Easter Vigil. We have new water, new fire, new candle, uh, oh, I just I jumped the rails there. Uh, why, why the wax? I have okay. something to say it's about the, wax. Okay. Well, in the tradition, you know, bees are uh, mentioned in the... In the um, uh, Exalted. Exalted, right. The bees. Why are there bees? It's this cosmic dimension that bees go out and they, they pollinate flowers. They make honey, which is this biblical symbolism of sweetness and blessing of God. But they also make wax. So the wax is made in this natural process so that the world and the bees contribute their part to the praise of God and the coming of Christ. And so the, um, bees are part of this cosmic preparation for the coming of Christ. So you could just have a, an oil lamp or whatever, but it wouldn't have that same notion of creation worshiping as well. All right, so beeswax, not earwax. Got it. <laughs> yeah, and actually there are a lot of older rules that say candles have to be at least 51% beeswax. When they figured out how to make artificial beeswax, it had to be at least the majority made by bees and not by oh, chemists in a lab. That's kind of a weird thing to have the actual yeah. ratio. But yeah. uh, but what, what got me going on this newness business, so that's the one thing that's probably most commonly overlooked. I mean, you buy this expensive, large Paschal candle. And, and you only use it year, one year. It's like you're leasing it, you know? Yeah, well, you certainly don't burn very much off of it. You think, well, why do I need to get a new one? I mean, it's it's mostly there but uh, again it's it's it, everything is about newness and uh, leftovers and uh, recycled uh, uh, cheap candles are, are not they do not say newness last year's Easter candy giving it to your kid the next hey, year you in, in the, yeah, but you know that's a pretty green way of living so huh. what do you do what do you do with the old Paschal candles you can uh, actually I think you can turn it into your Easter candle uh, provider, and they'll buy it back. I think on a cheap. Uh, they'll give you a little bit of a discount. Do they like melt it? Yeah, they'll recycle okay. it. Nice. Recycle That's it. really cool. Yeah. All right. Cool rubric number six. Cool. Is this the last one we're doing? Yeah, it can be. I okay. Mean, this could go on for a long time. Yeah. Let's do one more. We'll do one more. Okay. okay. Uh, and this too is one that uh, signifies a little bit of a change uh, from the 1985 sacramentary. It says, uh, if a deacon. It's really about who carries in the Easter candle. Oh, right? you mentioned this on the podcast. Did I? Okay, yeah. what's the answer? The answer is the deacon. And, right? if, the and if the deacon, deacon can't not, do it, it's a lay person, but not the but priest. not the priest. That's right. 
So um, this seems kind of backwards, right? Because we're talking about the priest is the Good Friday priest is the symbol. This is Christ's action, priestly action. Why wouldn't is the priest, priest doing something else at the time in which he can't do this? He's outside yes. having a cigarette. <laughs> well, smoke break. He's, well, there is smoke involved in here too. Uh, how I see it is, is uh, when you do, when the rubrics describe the entrance into the church, the first thing in the procession is the thurible. Mm-hmm. The second thing into the procession is the paschal candle. The third thing into the church is the priest. So he's got his own role to play. He can't be doing he's both. He's carrying reasons. himself. He's carrying himself. And finally, the last thing into the, to the church is the people. And this seems at least, I hope this is a legitimate interpretation of these types, but as the chosen people leave the darkness of slavery and sin of Egypt, they know where to go because uh, by day there is a pillar of cloud Perhaps this is uh, mm-hmm. the thurible the and a pillar of fire, okay. which is Christ. And then there's Moses who is following them. Mm-hmm. And the finally, priest. there come the, uh, uh, the the chosen people. And so those prefigurements and foreshadows and types are now being realized in the Paschal uh, Triduum by following the incense, following the candle, following Moses from darkness into a new Jerusalem. And what is the church building but the architectural image of the new Jerusalem or the heavenly Jerusalem? So you used to go in the walls of the city of Jerusalem on earth. Now the church is this prefigurement of the sacrament of this heavenly Jerusalem through which you enter into the heavenly realities. So if there's any priests listening, do not carry in the Paschal candle at the Triduum. Or Chris will hunt you down. (laughs) And do not not relinquish the homily to the deacon on Good Friday. Right. So, yeah. well, uh, well, you know, in the end, it's it's worth giving. Uh, everybody has too much to do these days, but it's worth taking a look at these rubrics, which in some ways are still a little bit fresh uh, to us, uh, to to remind ourselves what in fact they do say, but also to ponder a little bit about what's the theological meaning that each uh, has for effective symbolism. It says effective. I mean, it does something in this way of bringing heavenly realities to you. Effective symbolism. Awesome. All right. Well, those are some cool rubrics. I think we'll probably come back here in the future. It sounds like you have uh, more to say about it, but but for now, that's the that's all the time we have. So Do we I have any it, cool questions? I hope we have a, a coolest liturgy question. Hey, Liturgy Guy listeners, this is your host, Jesse Weiler. And before we get into this week's email question, I wanted to quickly remind you about our Young Adult Liturgy Conference coming up in April 2017. If you're a young adult and you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, both Dennis and Chris will be speaking at this Young Adult Liturgy Conference in Chicago. So to learn more about that, go to www.betransfigured.com. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? All right, this week we have a question from Jill from Denver. You got this one, Chris. What does, she, what does Jill I ask? Did, because Jill is my sister, oh, and she on. listens to the podcast. Do you like her? 
I like her very much. She's, she's great. great. She's sister. very funny. Oh, yeah. She's excellent. I've never met her, but I've heard she's very funny. Oh, she's like one of these favorite aunts. Well, what does she want to know? Oh, That's yeah, what right. I Okay. So um, she said that she had gone to Mass uh, at the cathedral in Denver on a Sunday, and she noticed there was this uh, uh, tent, as she described it, standing next to the priest chair, and she wondered, what's up with that? Yeah, that's... Um, Was it a yellow and red striped tent? Well, you know, yeah. I... What, what, I tried to answer it. I said, I have no idea what the thing could be. In fact, my first response was maybe it's like they were doing construction and they put up one of these tents to keep the dust in or something like well, that. First, and then she described it as having these uh, really bright colors. Yeah. So first of all, that cathedral is beautiful. If you ever are in Denver, you should go. It's gorgeous. Uh, second of all, uh, this is what I was talking about. This is the thing that I saw in the cathedral in baltimore i think it was like a little umbrella or something okay indeed so dennis what's up with that well in the line of the church revealing invisible spiritual realities with material stuff what she saw was are you ready for it ontology (laughs) no an umbrellino and a tintinabulum what a tintinabulum tintinitis is that what it gives you no no well tinnitus is related it's a it's a little bell Um, So in the um, ancient tradition, if the Pope traveled around, they would have an umbrella over him because it was hot and sunny in Rome. And if he was going through the streets, he would ring a bell so everybody knew. And they'd put an umbrella over his head. Um, They would do this even if they were bringing the Blessed Sacrament. Like if someone were uh, bringing the Blessed Sacrament to the sick and they were going through the streets, they'd bring a little altar boy and he'd ring a bell and they'd have a little canopy over the symposium. Is this this that thing that's got like three metal bars and and you just like, you hit, you walk around and you... It's like a little xylophone. Well, there were things like that, but that's not what we're talking about now. It's like a like a little bell, like a little liberty bell on a okay, got it. And so this is the indication of a basilica, a minor basilica. So a basilica is a is an honorific title given by the Pope to a church outside of the diocese of Rome that is of importance for historical reasons or for um, cultural reasons or the architecture itself. So that's why it's often in old buildings like the Basilica in Baltimore, which is the first cathedral of the U.S., or um, Denver, which would be an important building. But and not not all cathedrals are basilicas, right? And no, not all basilicas are cathedrals. cathedrals. Right. Okay. You could have a parish church, say, where some famous person was, and it uh, has historical importance. So there's documents about what a basilica is, but it's supposed to be a modeling, a role modeling of liturgical life, educational life, and sort of cultural heritage of the church in a local place. So if you see the bell and you see the umbrella, those are the two signs of the Pope's favor, this papal basilica extended out to the world. And there are, there are a couple hundred of them in the in Do the we US. have any in the Chicago Archdiocese? In fact, we have three. There's uh, St. Hyacinth, the Queen of All Saints, and Our Lady of Sorrows. Okay. And uh, mm-hmm. a year or two ago, I wrote an article for the Arsenio Visitor about basil- which vis- basilicas you should visit. So, like, take your summer vacation and go basilica hunting. So, it's probably <laughs> online uh, somewhere. You're a nerd. <laughs> yeah. But it means that this is a place worth visiting and, uh, and praying. And it becomes a beacon for the church, uh, the, sort of the Pope's uh, governance of the church throughout the world. All right. Jill. Excellent. Chris's sister. Yes. I hope that answers your question. Thanks for asking a question. I knew the answer to. <laughs> and if it doesn't answer your question, then you take it up with Chris. But uh, if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. 
Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.